Kings. We're going to be reading this morning from um, the book of Proverbs. We're going to read just one proverb this morning if you want to turn with me. If not, I'll read it to you this morning. It might be up on the screen at the back. And we're going to be looking at the topic this morning of friendship and what it is to be a friend. And it can be quite challenging. Um, I found as the older I get, the more challenging friendships become. When I was younger, I had what felt like many, 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 many friends. And as I get older, I've just got many. It's not as many manys. But as life gets busy with families and with work and careers and all these things, it's, it's just natural to get busy in our life. So we're going to be looking at the topic this morning. Nothing too profound, but for, for, without doubt, it'll give us instruction what it is to be a friend. And our text this morning is Proverbs 18, verse 24. So Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Different translation. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a reason I used that translation. I think it's the New Living Translation, and it's because of the first verse where it says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. That's a key instruction. Must himself be friendly. So, Father, as we come before your word this morning, God, I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts. That, Father, as we consider, Lord, what it is to be a friend, a true friend, Lord, as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself a friend that sticks us closer than a brother, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would help us see, God, the importance of what it is for us, your people, to be true friends, God, to be that person who is consistent, that person who respects God and, and Lord values friendships, God, because a man or a woman who is a true friend, according to your word, word, will himself have true friends. So, Lord, in a day with Lord, in a day in which we live where, Lord, so many things are, are taken for granted and not valued. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be a people that would recognize that friendship is a gift from God. It's something to be valued and it's something to be worked out within our life. We're not to allow God our our own evil wickedness within us, God, to, Lord, dictate, Lord, and even destroy good friendships that, Lord, you may bring into our lives. So, Father, we ask that you would fill us afresh and touch us afresh with the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, that your word would be, Lord, instructive for us, God. Lord, that even it would help us, Lord, to be a better friend. Lord, to recognize that, Lord, we haven't perhaps been so such a good friend, but, Lord, that, Lord, nothing can be lost or cannot be salvaged, God, when we serve a living God. Because with you, Lord, all things are possible. So, Lord, we pray you would bless us, hedge us in, Lord. We pray against any distractions this morning. Lord, may we each hear from you, and we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. This is holiday season, and many people are already on holidays. Many is going on holidays. And may the Lord bless each of you, whether you're going, coming home, or still to go. We are going ourselves the last Sunday of the month. We'll be away for the first two weeks of um, August, and we're, we're heading hopefully to a bit of sun, and we're looking forward to it. So may the Lord bless each of you this period. We look forward to September when we get back into the, the church year again. We are praying as a, as a, as a session, as elders, for a, a bit of vision, a bit of direction for next year. We believe, as we've already said at the start of the year, our focus is we want to get out into our community. We did the mission, was one of our big focuses last year. We're still praying into that. We just don't want to jump in to do something repetitive again. Maybe, maybe not. We just haven't got 
clarity, but just want to encourage you as a church to be praying into that as well, that we would be listening and hearing the heartbeat of the Lord and that we would be then building again and working towards something to reach people for the Lord. But last week we were speaking about disciples. We're all discipleship makers and we talked about the, the difficulty with names and I trust that we are working on that and if we're, we're not afraid to say, brother, you've been here a while, could you remind me of your name again? Don't be afraid of that. Get to know each other. But this morning we're going to be talking about what it is to be a friend, to be a friend, true friendship. In our text, what we see is King Solomon, he promotes true friendship. Even as a, a king, a rich king, a king who was known for his great wisdom, he recognized himself that friendship is important. And we need to recognize that this morning. Amen? Friendship is important. We're not islands, or at least we shouldn't be islands. Friendship is important. It's been said that a true friend accepts who you are, but also helps you to become who you should be. That's a true friend. A true friend, somebody's not afraid to say, listen, brother, you need to work on that. Or that's not no way to act. Or, you know, that's a true friend. It doesn't just, just let us get on the way we are. Now, King Solomon, he teaches us how to cultivate uh, true friendship. To have good friends in our life, we must first be a good friend. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because we can often look at our friends and go, well, well they haven't rung me, or I'm always ringing them, and they never ring me back. So you know what? I'm not going to be ringing them. But a true friend must first be a good friend first in order to have good friends. And Solomon said that a man who has friends must himself be friendly, must be approachable, must be the sort of person that is friendly. Now, this is a powerful verse on the topic of friendship. And it makes some simple points to start us off of what that means to be a good friend. To have friends, it says, you must be friendly. And what this simply says is the key to meaningful relationship friendship. It's not just seeking out friends, but it's about being that friend, being a friend. That seems to make all the difference. What sort of person are we? Perhaps we haven't got friends because of the sort of person we are. It's not a thought. That's what this is saying. To, to have a friend, we must be friendly. According to the scriptures, to make a friend, we have to be a friend. That's the first we thought that it brings out. The second point that Solomon makes is, to be a friend, we must be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, there's much could be said on that, but this type of friend is a person who is interested in us with no thought of what is in it for them. It's not for their own personal gain. There's no catch. It's a friendship based on friendship alone, not based on advances. I remember a story going about many years ago with a Presbyterian church where a big, well-known uh, building contractor had all of a sudden come to faith, and that church was about to build a big multi-million pound project in which he got in and ended up getting the project. And when the project was finished, that man since has not walked with the Lord since, and you have to question yourself, was this man a true friend or did this man see it gain? Uh, a true friend doesn't say, I'm going to befriend you so I can benefit. That's what Solomon's saying here. And the Bible teaches us that a friend that sticks closer, closer than a brother, and we can learn that Jesus is a friend that sticks, sorry, closer than a brother, and we can learn from him. We can learn what it means to be a true friend. There's much could be said on that, and, but a simple one is Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. That's, that doesn't sound too, much, too profound to us because 
we, prob we probably will not realize the extent of that that we find ourselves standing before God when everything's laid bare and we see Christ face to face. That's when we'll fully realize. When we see the judgment, we realize this man died for me, and thank God. Even when I was a great sinner, he died for me. You see, that's a love. There was nothing in it for Christ at that point. It wasn't that we were, he wasn't going to gain anything from you or me by saving us, by being our friend. And that's what a friend does. It loves you even when you're unlovable at times. Jesus says regarding his church in John 15, you're my friends. That's what he says to you. He goes on to say in, in verse 14, I have called you my friends. Then he goes on to say in 16, I have called you and appointed you as a friend to go and bear fruit. And all who, who know the resurrected Christ personally have received themselves a friend. A friend. A friend who will stick by them when everyone else has left the room. That's what the Bible teaches. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, I've observed in life that there's no love like a mother's love. It's been noticed now that every mother, I wonder do you agree with this, every mother believes that their child is the most beautiful child ever to be born. I don't know if you ever noticed that. This is a very touchy subject. I could be absolutely killed up here if I don't say this right. But have you ever noticed that? But we can't all be right. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure we can't. We can't all be right. We can't all have the most perfect, beautiful little child. So <laughs> I don't know if you recall the baby competitions that used to take place in the paper. Do you ever remember them? I think they've been banned. But when I was a lad, it was a big thing, and my mother didn't put me in it for some reason. <laughs> but I remember seeing open this page, and there were these spreads of all these wee, lovely, gorgeous, cute, funny, weird-looking babies. And let's just say, not every one of them babies should have been entered. <laughs> and I'm confident as they got older, they would have grown into their heads, because... When I was small, my head was too big for my body. Now my body's too big for my head. And most children have these problems, you see. But to these mothers, to these mothers, this, that child is so perfect. I'm going to put it in the paper. And are we Johnny's certainly going to win because are we Johnny? And that's the mother's love, you see. That's the mother's love. I remember telling the story, I'm sure many of you heard me say it before, about we Johnny's passing out parade. He joined the military and went through his training and a big passing out day had come when there was 500 men marching down the, the passing out parade and all their families watching. And wee Johnny was out of step, you see. And Johnny's wee mother says, would you look at our Johnny? He's only one in step. You see, that is, that is a mother's love. There's no love like a mother's love. A mother's love is unconditional, church. And that's the kind of love that Christ has for you. When you're out of step, he doesn't look at you and say, look at our bat by there. He says, look at that person. Loves them. Unconditional love when he gets you back in step. That's the, that's the one I just paint a picture of. That's the kind of love that Christ has. It's not that you're the cutest, the most intellect, or perfect in all their ways, your ways. No, he loves you because he does. Isn't that refreshing? It doesn't matter the size of your body, the size of your head. He loves you for who you are. When you fail him, he doesn't cut you out of your heavily inheritance. When you make a few bad decisions, when you prove to be a poor friend yourself, when you act badly and end up shipwrecked, he remains a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the Jesus that we're preaching about and sung about this morning. He will be there to help you on and listen, help you up 
when you're ready for his help. Maybe some of you this morning need a help up, but you're not ready for it yet. But when you are, when you reach out to him, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he'll help you up, and he'll help you on. Now, that's the type of friend, if you like, that you and I are to be. It's a big challenge. A friend who is consistently there in every season of our friend's life, of our friend's life. Now, the fruit of godly, godly friendship is this. Good company and good conversation. That's one of the God-sent blessings of a good friendship. Good company. Good company. We don't appreciate good company until we've got nothing but bad company around us. And you know, it's nice just to be in the presence of friends where it's just good. You don't feel like you have to be anything else, only yourself. Do you understand, don't we? Good friendship brings to your life good company. And out of good company comes what? Good conversation. And good company is important. Now listen, Proverbs 12 says this. Verse 26. The righteous choose their friends wisely because the way of the wicked leads them astray. We are responsible, church, who we allow to influence us in our life. Because the Bible says the righteous, the people of God, they choose their friends carefully. And 1 John 7, we read, Jesus says, if we walk in the light, as he, or John says, or if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, it's hard for you just to see that, and I just read it out, but what that verse actually says when you look at it is, when we have fellowship with Christ, Good fellowship, man. We will have naturally have good fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with Christ leads us to deeper friendships and, and relationships with other Christians. It leads us to deeper, meaningful conversations. It's why when somebody backslides, the, the Christian friends that they had for years, they all of a sudden can't be friendships with them. Because they're not walking with the Lord, and therefore them friendships have dissolved, you see. But when we have a good walk with the Lord, the Christian friendships in our life strengthen quicken. Now, there's a very important ingredient in godly friendship, and it's one that we talk about, but we don't really take that seriously, but it's called unity. And unity breaks homes apart, it breaks business partnerships apart, and it breaks friendships apart. And one commentator said this, there must be unity in order to have friendship, because division destroys good friendships. So, the fruit of good friendships is good company and good conversations. Now, what makes for a good friend, I ask myself, according to the Scriptures? And the question that we must ask ourselves is, what sort of friend am I? And that's what I'm just going to leave out there. What sort of friend am I? I wonder, have you let a friendship go without enough fight? I wonder, is that possible? That there's been people who have been lifelong friends to you, for whatever reason, we're talking from a biblical godly perspective here, from Jesus who's a friend who sticks closer. When we are at our lowest, he's still there. I wonder, I wonder is there people in our life that we've just let go too easy, too soon? And there, there's just a probing question. But here's the truth about friendship. And Proverbs 20 verse 6 says this, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find a friend who is truly reliable? That's the truth about friendships. But the challenge to you and I this morning is, as a people of God, we're called to walk differently. We're called to be a different friend. We're called to learn from the Lord and be a friend that sticks closer than our brother. So a few thoughts, a few points for us this morning. What does it mean to be a good friend? Well, the first one is a true friend must be trustworthy. 
You cannot have friends if you're not to be trusted. Because a true friend is a faithful friend who stands by you. In Psalm 41 and 9, you can mark this for yourself, but this is a prophecy. Now, this prophecy in Psalm 41 9, it was written around about a thousand years before Christ came. And in this prophecy, it speaks about a friend who betrays somebody. And this somebody is Jesus, and this friend who betrays him is Judas. And it says this, Even my close friend, in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Now, as I said, a thousand years after the psalm was written, thereabouts, in Mark's, well, different gospels, but Mark 14 this morning, for the sake of clarity, Jesus says this, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And then he gave Judas a piece of bread, and then Judas said, Master, surely you don't mean me. You see? And here's a wee picture of what an untrustworthy friend looks like in person. I want you to notice also that Judas had fooled the other 12 disciples because they too thought of him as a true friend. Well, how do we know this? Because the Bible tells us that when Jesus said that one of the 12 would betray him, they each wondered if it would be them. Nobody thought for one minute, oh, it's going to be Judas. He wasn't the sort of guy when, when Jesus said somebody's going to betray him, we go, well, go, well, we know who that's going to be. No, he had fooled them all. They all thought, and that's it, who is it going to be? Is it me? You see? Judas was unlikely. He betrayed himself as a true friend to Jesus and to the friends, the 12 apostles around him. He acted like a true friend. He, he spoke as a true friend. But you know something? His actions proved that he wasn't really that good of a friend. And maybe there's people in our life who are like that. We think they're good friends, but there's something not right. Or we, we want them to be true friends. And they, they talk as such, but their actions towards us just tell us something differently. Many of us have heard the term that he or she is a Judas. I'd like to think that we weren't ever referred to as such, but we all know that, especially growing up. Remember in school, it was a, didn't know the Bible, but we knew what it was to call somebody a Judas. And this world is full of this type of friend. They will eat your bread with a smile. They'll happily, happily help you spend your money. They'll tell you what you want to, want to hear, but deep down there will be this longing for your demise. Christian, be a good friend. If somebody you find yourself really not wanting to be a friend to will, will break that friendship off, but don't let us not be the type of friend that is untrustworthy. So that's the first thought. We must be trustworthy to be a good friend. The second one is, able to keep secrets. Now, this is a wee bit difficult because we all like a good wee, don't we? Did you hear your such? Did you hear with this? We all like that now, except me, of course. But what is it about private information that some of us get a great urge to make it public? Isn't there something about it? Especially if they say, now, don't tell anybody. I want to share this with you. And you're going, oh, please don't. <laughs> you see, we have to be mature, strong, trustworthy people. To have good, strong, trustworthy friends, we must be able to keep secrets. And not the bad secrets. We're talking about the good secrets, the things that somebody confide. And we need all to be careful with this one because a burden shared with a friend is done so in great trust. 
Nothing more hurtful for a person who tells the secret of another. Let our conversation be edifying because it can all too easy go the other way. Paul tells us to take every thought captive. I've often thought of that verse. What's that mean? For me, it means this. Neil, when you get a thought in your head, examine it. Put it on the scales and weigh it. And if it's wholesome and if it's good, let it out. If it's toxic, lock it up. That's my own wee philosophy when it comes to what Paul taught me, teaches us. And Proverbs 16, 28 says this, Now a dishonest man or woman spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Now that's a, that's a strong statement. We can actually break down friendships, strong friendships, lifelong friendships. We can, do, we can destroy, I have the power to destroy your friendships if I start whispering lies. A whisperer is a person who tells the personal secrets and sometimes lies about another person. Now, church, let us be careful of our witness, our, our whispers, because it can do great harm. Our whispers have the power to destroy close friendships. They have the power to cause great strife among our families, among our friends, among our churches. But a true friend is a friend who is measured in their conversation. Now, I think we've all been caught out. I know I have in my time of saying something that I wish I'd never said, or being told something and then of inadvertently or without thinking mentioned it, and there's that feeling of, goodness, why did I open my mouth, or why did I, you know, isn't there? Sometimes that happens. We don't intentionally want it to happen, but what we're saying is to be a good friend, we need to be measured in our conversation. One who confides in you we need to be a person that someone can confide in us with no fear of going any further. So to be a true friend, we must be trustworthy, we must be able to keep secrets. Then we must be Christ-like. Proverbs 22, 24 says this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, hot person, and do not associate with an easily, a person who's easily angered. Now, anger in a person is a bad quality, and it makes with bad, a bad friendship. And I think we all at times... We'll have we outbursts of anger and we struggle with it at times. Let's not make ourselves out to be um, perfect in all our ways. But there is certain people that you just know. You can be talking to them and in, in, in a millisecond there's like this bomb about to go off. They're just so agitated, so easily burst into anger. One commentator says this, if you cannot control yourself, you will have no friends. Don't be friends with an angry person. That's what one commentator puts in the, in the reference to that. Church, we all can experience anger, in this, but the Scriptures discourage us in our life. Let us be a people who recognize, if that's us, that we need to put away that and learn to control that. An angry person doesn't make for good company. Instead, we need to be Christ-like. Now, I thought about this. What is it about Christ that thousands and thousands of people come to see Him? Christ had men run to him in their thousands to spend time in his presence. They didn't all agree with him, but they all wanted to go and see him. See him. Even King Agrippa, when he met him, says, I've heard so much, I'm so excited to finally meet you, to be in your presence. A man or woman with Christ-like behavior will have friends all over the land. That's true. What it means to be Christ-like can be seen in Galatians 6, Brothers, if anyone among you is caught in any sin, let you who, who are spiritual and strong restore him in spirit of gentleness. Sorry, And keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted or corrupted. 
Then he says, bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. See, a true friend is willing to bear the burdens of their friends. That can be hard at times. Some friends can be exhausting at times, but a true friend is willing to bear the burdens of others. So to be a good friend, we are to be Christ-like. I want to share the message version of Proverbs 17, 17, our text for today. It says this, friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. A true friend sticks around in every season of our life. Be a person, church, that carries an abundance of compassion. Anybody who carries compassion will have many, many, many friends. Be sympathetic. Be a peacemaker. Do not be unforgiven in your spirit. Remember, as Christ taught us, a true friend, a true friendship as Christ displayed to his church was unconditional love. We're talking about true friendships, people who God has placed in your life. Maybe that friendship's dissolved a wee bit. Maybe it's because unconditional love has been removed from it. But remember that true friendship is marked by unconditional love. So what makes for good friends in Scripture? A person who's trustworthy, a person who's measured in speech, able to keep secrets, who's not prone to outbursts of anger, self-controlled, if you like, a person that, who's Christ-like in behavior and willing to, to bring healing to a life and not pour vinegar in the wound. That's the makings of a true friend. Now, very quickly, I want to pull out some things which is the makings of a bad friend. A bad friend, the makings of one is somebody who loves the old gossip. Timothy dealing with widows, young widows in particular here who had, in his own words, too much time in their hands, says this in 1 Timothy 5. And if they are on the list, now this list uh, was there for the church for widows who needed help. But there were some widows who were very young when their husbands passed away and he was more or less saying they shouldn't be on the list, they should get themselves up, get themselves a new life going. This was the sort of theme that Paul was dealing with. But he says, if they are not on the list, or if they are on the list, sorry, they will only learn to be lazy. They will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business, and talking about things that they should not talk about. That, that's what Paul says. So what I want to say here is, be careful of the busy bodies in our life. A friend who carries news from house to house, talking about the things that they shouldn't be. And all of us can be in this picture here. Meddling in other people's business. We need to make sure that we're not that sort of person because according to what the Scripture says, it's not the makings of a good friend. It's not the makings. As I remember somebody saying one time when somebody had left the group they were in that this person started talking about them and this person who had left and, and he walked away and he says, I wonder what they're talking about me now. And I, I guess that's the truth. When, if we're that sort of person that we like talking behind people's bike, backs and we become to be known as such and doesn't make for a good friend for us, and it doesn't attract people to be our friends. And according to the Scriptures, this doesn't make for a good godly friendship. There are people that will gossip with their tongue because their tongue's untamed, and we need to tame this, and we're all prone to this. But the problem there is that befriending gossips is we become like them. We all love a good gossip, myself included, and you can find yourself drawn in very quickly. And let us help each other not to be drawn into these sort of conversations. Because if we desire to be, 
have a good friend. We need to make sure we are a good friend. Another sign that makings of a bad friendship is those who like to whisper. It's quite challenging, this word, isn't it? Has anybody else been challenged by this? It stirs stuff within the realities of the human nature. Another sign is somebody who likes to whisper. They think nothing of slandering a person's name. And Paul deals with this in Romans 1 and 30. Regarding ungodly, fleshly people, he says, they are gossipers. They're slanderers, they're God-haters, and they're insolent. They're arrogant in spirit, and they're boastful by tongue. You see, it's been said that some people will believe anything if you whisper to them. There's scientific proof behind that, that if we whisper something into somebody's ear, they're, they're more likely to hear it. Because when, you're, when I'm speaking to you now, the chances are that you aren't hearing much. But if I was to whisper into your ear, your brain comes alive and you take every word in as truth. That's scientifically proven. That's why when somebody whispers in the ear, you're alert. We whisper, if some people believe, whisper anything in your ear, you believe it. How can we know we're gossiping, I ask myself? How can I know this? Well, if we're whispering about somebody, the chances are we're gossiping about somebody. Is that a fair thought? we're whispering about somebody. I remember being somewhere many years ago and there was this sign, I thought it was quite funny, and it, it was a warning sign and it says this, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. <laughs> Did you hear about your man? <laughs> and we've all heard and seen them people. They think they're whispering but they're actually very, very loud. Be careful of our temptation to whisper about others the Bible is teaching us. It can land us in trouble. And listen, it can leave us friendless. Another one, jealousy. Be careful of a jealous spirit. Galatians 4, we read about, or sorry, Genesis 4, we read about two brothers. Remember a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We speak about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain became so enraged with Abel's offering that it was accepted and his wasn't that he ended up killing his brother, his closest friend, his brother. Jealousy. One commentator simply put it, never be jealous of your friends. You will begin to hate them, and soon your friendships will be over. That's the power. Then one more to finish this, because I think we're getting through a lot. Bitterness. Now be careful of this one. This can really dissolve true friendships. When bitterness rises up within a man or woman, it has the capacity to destroy lifelong friendships. The New Living Translation version of Ephesians 4 and 13, 31 puts it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviors. See, bitterness replaces unconditional love with rage and anger and harsh words, doesn't it? And slander. It's the opposite. Be trustworthy. Be a person who can keep quiet and keep secrets. Be self-controlled. Be Christ-like. Be a true friend. And you then, as Paul or Solomon says, you will in return reap good friends. I want to close with this because it's important. Friendships is to be valued. Is to be valued. I have made effort in, in recent years to try and rekindle some old friendships that I left behind. When I come to faith and thought to myself, I wonder, 
could I be an influence there? And they didn't come to much, to be fair. There's something, but there's nothing much. Tried quite hard. But one thing that I do know is that friendships are to be valued. Are to be valued. Statistics say that people in their 40s upwards are at their most loneliness. And that doesn't seem to get any lower in statistics as we get older. When we're younger, friends are in abundance. So we go to school and friends are everywhere. It's the worst days in our life, but in many ways it's the best days of our life. We get into the working world, we forget about our friends, but we suspect they'll always be there. Next thing we realize, we're, we're in our 40s, we're, we're in the midst and peaks of our careers, and our families is, is, is live around us. And we realize, actually, where's all the friends gone? And that's something that can, be, can happen when we don't realize the value of true friendship. And now it's been said, if you've got one true friend, you're very lucky. You decide that for yourself. I don't know if that's true or not. But if you have got one good friend, value them. One comment here, I put three big things, and I'm closed with this. It said this, be thankful for your friends. He quotes Paul. In Philippians, Paul says, I thank God in remembrance of my friends. Appreciate your friends, the friends in your life. First Thessalonians 1, Paul personally thanked those who helped him, who was there for him in the difficulty of labor and work. Be truthful with your friends always. Don't be a Judas. Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor or against your friend. Be a true friend. And as we close, because I think I've said closing in about the last three times, but we really are closed. There's one man by the name of, uh, name of Joseph Scriven. This man understood what it was to have a good friend, a true friend in his life. He was fortunate enough to have one. He had a friend who proved to be closer than a brother, a friend whose door was always open to him, a friend whose ear was always ready to listen, a friend who would not speak of his many, many mistakes to others. He could keep secrets. And he wrote about his friend in this poem. Does anybody know what this poem is? Yeah. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We need to value good friendship. Value what the Lord has given each of us. Value that what God has given you to be in Scripture you can be. Let us not be the sort of person that follows our natural, the base side. Because all of us are what we spoke about this morning. We all have the potential to be that. But we've also got the potential to be this new man, this new woman, who is a true friend who can be trusted. Make every effort to be a true friend. But remember, above all things, in all our failures, in all our mistakes, and all that we've done to others, that there is a friend who sticketh closer than our brother. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know that friend this morning, if you don't know the Savior this morning, you can come to know him this morning. You can have him this morning as your personal Savior. You can know what it is to be saved. You can know what it is, as, as Joseph Scriver writ, what a friend I have in Jesus.